lecture is going to focus on the first part of the risk hazards and disasters module. The topic is my academic and professional area of interests, so I'm really excited about these next couple of weeks. If you're following along in the optional text, the content from today's lecture can be found on pages 82 through 97. By the end of today's lecture, you will be able to define hazard, risk, social vulnerability, and disaster. You'll be able to distinguish phases of emergency management. You'll be able to explain why risk can be thought of a decision and why disasters are considered social phenomena. And you'll be able to demonstrate how social factors influence people's vulnerability to disasters. To get started, I wanna talk a little bit about how I got interested in this topic. I grew up in a small town in Puerto Rico, right next to the beach. When I was six years old, I lived through a really strong Category 4 hurricane that hit the island in 1998. As a kid, I thought it was so fun. My family shuttered all the windows, it was really dark. We moved all the mattresses to the middle of the house away from the windows, lit up tons of candles, and my brother and I got a ton of like junky little and my brother and I got a bunch of junky little toys to keep us entertained and distracted. To me, it was fun. And then after the hurricane had passed, when I stepped outside of the dark house into this bright daylight, I was in awe of the way the landscape had been completely destroyed. And it was unlike anything I had ever experienced. The way our daily routines changed, everyone was hanging out on the street, school was canceled for like a month, um, it all stood out to me as exciting. So really that early life experience has had a profound impact on the work I've chosen to pursue academically and professionally. I'm really excited to talk about these topics and I encourage any of you to follow up with me if you want to learn about anything that we talk about in the next couple of weeks or anything related to what we talk about over the next couple of weeks. Okay, so let's get to the content. The way this module is structured is that there are two parts. The first part, which we'll cover today, starts off by defining and exploring what the terms hazards and risk really mean. In the second part of the module, we'll transition into thinking about disasters, the role of social vulnerability in disasters, and the phases of emergency management, and tying that into a discussion about the role that policy can play in addressing disasters. Before we get into terms, I want to set the scene. It's the 1920s, and the unpredictable, untamable Mississippi River was being controlled by levees, or these artificial walls, to prevent flooding. In 1926, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers claimed that the levees would hold forever. One year later, in 1927, the Mississippi River overflowed its banks, broke levees, and flooded 27 square miles of land, impacting well over half a million people across Arkansas, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Despite what were perceived as impenetrable technological feats, why did the Mississippi River still flood? Was the level of flooding unpredictable? Was the data wrong? Would the damage have been as catastrophic if people hadn't been allowed to build their lives and livelihoods near the river? What role do humans play in their exposure to flooding? Who, if anyone, is responsible for protecting humans from flooding? 
Nowadays, that we have better monitoring tools and data, is it possible for us to predict flooding and other natural disasters? The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers thought that they had it all figured out in 1927, but they didn't. But do you think they have it all figured out now? There aren't specific answers to these questions, but I think they're really important for you to think about so that you can start to grasp the complexity of the issues we'll be talking about in this module. Now for some terminology. A hazard is defined as an object, condition, or process that threatens individuals and society in terms of their production and reproduction. Let's break that down. A hazard object can be something like ultraviolet radiation. A condition can be something like periodic flooding of a river. A process can be something like the nitrification of water. The second part of this definition, the ability for these objects, conditions, or processes to threaten production and reproduction, refers to the impacts on the ability of people to make a living and for them to be alive. So that's the reproduction part. And the make a living is the production part. Hazards don't need to be natural. There can be technological hazards, for example, but for the purposes of this module, we're gonna focus on natural hazards. Those that are geological, meteorological, hydrological, or biological in nature. So now that we know what a hazard is, I have some questions for you all. How should we plan for natural hazards that aren't entirely predictable or don't occur consistently? Should we be pessimistic and always assume that there will be flooding, wildfires, tornadoes, earthquakes, and landslides? This sounds really expensive, overly cautious, and mostly impossible. Should we be optimistic and never plan for anything, crossing our fingers and hope that nothing will happen to us and our communities? That sounds dangerous, and should those who govern be allowed to put people's lives at risk in that way? What does a middle-of-the-road decision look like, and how can you make sure that your decision is informed? So this is a good point to pause and go to your guided notes. I want to move on to talk about the concept of risk. Risk refers to the known or estimated probability that a hazard-related decision will have a negative consequence. So earlier, when I asked you if we should always plan for every event or never plan for any event, those are really two ends of a decision-making spectrum. The reality is, we most often decide on a course of action that is somewhere in between these two extremes. And whatever decision you make will have some degree of risk left over. When people make those decisions, they're often based on complex problems that aren't straightforward. The decisions are based on data and models, which are always in some ways themselves biased. They're based on social priorities. For example, do we spend the money on a potential disaster or on economic growth? Decisions are based on existing policies and established practices, which may be classist, racist, sexist. They're based on culture, risk perceptions, among other things. When you see a decision that influences risk, decision makers will often try to present their decision-making process as objective or value neutral, as based on the science. But I don't want you to take that for granted. All of these other things that I mentioned are also embedded in those decisions, and they're by no means value neutral. 
Risk itself is more than just the probability that a particular natural hazard is going to occur. Remember, it's the probability that a hazard-related decision is going to have a negative consequence. So the probability that a particular natural hazard will impact a particular space is only one part of the equation. What does a negative consequence mean? To help think about this, I'm going to describe some cases and ask some questions in relation to those cases. Okay, so for an uninhabited island, is there a high level of risk to humans if a hurricane is going to sweep through an island with no one living there? In New York City, is there a high level of risk to humans if a hurricane is going to pass through New York City? These have been pretty easy so far. You can generally think about it in terms of injuries and casualties. It's pretty easy to turn into a number or to quantify. But what if a hurricane is going to pass through a tourist town in the off season? There's not a whole lot of people there, but a lot of high value property, businesses, and livelihoods would be destroyed. This one's a little harder, but still easy to quantify primarily in terms of dollars. For example, amount of money and property damage, potential property value, loss of revenue if the community is unable to fully recover in time for the upcoming tourist season. I also mentioned the last of livelihoods, which isn't really easy to quantify, but since we have those other things we can attribute a dollar amount to, it's not a big deal for now. And I'll write the last one. What about if a hurricane is about to go through a small, low-income, predominantly African-American town with strong community ties, cultural value, and historical significance, such as Princeville, North Carolina? Okay, now we're stuck. How do you assign a number or dollar value to loss of culture and community ties when people move away because they lost their homes and can't afford to build back? to the damage to the land that was of historical significance. How do you take into account the fact that a hurricane impacting a low-income, predominantly African-American town is gonna have far greater and longer-lasting physical, financial, and emotional consequences than a hurricane impacting a rich, white neighborhood who has the financial and political resources to get back on their feet quickly? I don't have a clear-cut answer for how those variables should be integrated into our understanding of into into our understanding of consequences and risk. But I know that we should account for those things because when we don't, we're also implicitly deciding that things like culture, history, community bonds, emotional well-being, justice don't matter, or at least they don't matter as much as things like money and property. Alright, let's bring this back in by going back over the definition of risk I presented you with earlier. After our discussion, you should have a better understanding of the probability and consequence components of this definition. I also want to highlight that another way some people like to think about the term risk is as an equation, where risk equals hazards times exposure, where the hazard part of the equation represents the probability and the exposure represents the consequence. I want to highlight, though, that this isn't a real equation that you would plug numbers into and get a value in at the end. It's more of a theoretical equation 
um, much like the one that we explored earlier on in the semester in relation to environmental impact and the role of population, development, and technology on environmental impact. This equation comes in a few different forms, but the main idea is the same. So that concludes the new content we're going to cover for this lecture. I think these concepts can be a little bit tricky to grasp and we've only just really touched the surface on hazards and risk. But I want you all to feel really comfortable with these two terms because they're an important baseline for discussing topics that we'll cover in class and that we'll cover next week. So I think it's important to get this baseline down so that we are ready to move forward. So thanks for listening, everyone. Please let me know if you have questions in the guided notes.